whether it's the legendary lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay and so are we. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. There is no guest, there is a special guest, but there is no Rob Guest. Rob Guest is off this week on his 26th holiday of the year thus far. Yes, I did hear what he said when I was off a few weeks back, so that is my revenge. Um, he'll be back with us next week. But standing in once again is the head of Football.London, Lee Wilmot. How are you doing, Lee? Yes, thanks for having me once again. Um, you've called me a special guy. I'm not sure I'm special, but... Um, oh, I'd like to think again. you're special. Oh, thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> yes, um, it's good to be back. Um, obviously, not talking about um, a, a great result at the weekend, um, but I'm sure we can dissect everything um, as much as we possibly can um, during this podcast today. Before we get into anything, um, just like to tell everyone about a new publication from Reach PLC called Women's Football News. This is a brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion with columnists Sue Smith and Jackie Oatley sharing their views on some of the game's hot topics. So whether it's the Women's Super League, the Championship or the Grassroots game, Women's Football News has it all covered. You can pick up your copy at your local retailer or go online to reachshops.co.uk forward slash women's football. Stuff, good stuff. Not such good stuff from Tottenham um, <laughs> at the weekend. Uh, it was one of those games, wasn't it, where they were like a couple of added time minutes away from picking up what would have been a completely different gritty win that would have, we now know, taken them back to the top of the Premier League. It's, it's only Tottenham that could frustrate you after they've played a match when you look at kind of subsequent results. But it was, honestly, in the press box at Molyneux, which I love Molyneux. It's such an old school stadium. It's one of those kind of classic grounds where the noise is great. And we're all sat in the press box. I think we're all preparing ourselves to write this piece, which was going to be along the lines of, do you know what? They've managed to muddle through it. They got through it without all these injury issues, people suspended. The defences kind of stuck it out, got themselves a clean sheet with lots of brave blocks, clearances and headers. Um, you know, Attack wasn't great, but Brennan Johnson scored that early goal and they hung on. Then comes added time. And to be fair, Spurs have profited from added time plenty, even just this season. So we can't really complain too much. But, oh my goodness, that was a, a punch to the gut just at the end when I think Spurs felt they were there. We're going to discuss the kind of underlying issues that maybe led to those late um, two goals for Wolves, but also the game itself and how... There were positives, not many, but there were some positives to take. What did you think of the match overall? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't around for the first half. Um, as anyone who's um, listened to this pod when I've been on before uh, will know that I coached my um, my son's um, football um, team. So we had a late kickoff on Saturday morning. So I didn't I didn't get back home until um, until the second half was just about to start. So I saw all of the second half and missed all of the first. So um, I've had to catch up a little bit. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, th I think it's... It's kind of easy for me to to say, um, and I think it's easy for anyone to say, really, that if that and it, it was a pretty special equalising goal from Wolves, um, if if that moment doesn't happen, uh, I think the result is one nil. I, I don't think what then comes after that happens. I don't I don't think Wolves get an equaliser if they don't score a special goal like that. Um, 
but I could you could you could feel it. I could feel it watching it at home, and it felt like the atmosphere inside the stadium knew that there was something else to come. Um, how did you you felt that like that sitting in there? Did you? Oh, absolutely! That noise. It, it was the most guaranteed second goal coming <laughs> after the first ever. The noise just ratcheted up to like ridiculous levels, and you could just see the Spurs players tiring, which didn't help as well. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. First goal was beautiful for Wolves. I honestly, if Spurs had scored that goal, we'd be raving about it. Absolutely raving about it. We, we will. It's still a very good goal. But the second goal was just a team, a knackered team switching off and letting in a stupid late goal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's hard, isn't it, to to really criticise, um, given the number of changes that, that we've had to make. Um, Ange Postigoglu spoke about it afterwards, like three players in, in the back line who have barely played this season, being thrown into it from the start, um, changing up the midfield a little bit in terms of um, bringing in Hoybier from the start as well, which I thought was an interesting choice from um, Ange, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit later. But yeah, just the, the, the nature of everything that happened against Chelsea and how we had to change the team um, the dynamic and everything, um, and you, you're right. It looked like we're gonna we're gonna kind of just scrape through with a gritty win, um, completely against Ange Postecoglou's philosophy, probably in terms of um, of grinding it out. Um, and it just just didn't quite work. But yeah, again, absolutely right. We have we have benefited from late goals, Sheffield United, Liverpool this season, and probably probably a couple more. Um, but yeah, it was it was bound to come and bite us in in the backside at some point. Yeah, and the irony is they were braver with nine men than they were with 11 Spurs. <laughs> they really were. That was the biggest problem for me was that a lot of the game on Saturday felt like a game from last season. And that's I think, has really frustrated a lot of Spurs fans. And I think frustrated Postacoglu as well. He was going mad on the touchline. There was one moment in the first half because he wasn't a million miles away from us in the press box, or at least we had a very good view down to the dugouts. And he was shouting, you know, I, I, he did a very quiet press conference afterwards. I wonder if that was because he destroyed his vocal cords because it was so loud. He just kept screaming, get up, get up, get up to his team. And they were in possession. He was just getting trying to get every single player to push up the pitch because in his own words afterwards, they weren't aggressive and positive enough in what they were trying to do, especially in that first half. And there were certainly moments when, yeah, the ball was just kind of passing around. I mean, I've got the, the passing stats. The passing stats suggest a different game. That you know, Spurs had fifty-eight percent of the ball at Molyneux, which you know, Wolves are passing team. That's actually quite a surprising kind of number. But they also played five hundred and thirty-two passes. Wolves only played three hundred and fifty-three. But ultimately, it goes. It's the old cliche, isn't it? It doesn't matter how much you've got the ball, you've actually got to do something with it. And Tottenham have been very good this season in turning that possession and passing into chances on goal. This match. They didn't have many at all. They had, I think I've got it here, they had six shots at goal, only two on target. Johnson's goal being one of them and La Celso having that effort tipped over by Jose Sarr towards the end, whereas Wolves had 17 shots. But actually, this I kind of felt until those last two goals, which proved it kind of wrong. Wolves always, to me, have been that kind of team where they play some lovely football but don't have that cutting edge. And I was feeling that. I was thinking, all oh, Spurs are going to get away with this. They've had 17 shots at goal. Only four of them have actually gone on target. You know, Vicari only had to make one save in that yeah. first half that I remember, um, pushing away a low shot across. And it looked like Spurs were going to kind of squeeze out a gritty win that, like I say, was maybe more akin to last season under Conte at times. 
Um, and it, you said it before, it's not the Postacoglu way. And that's the biggest thing about it. And I think that's where a lot of frustration after the game came from. I do think some players were a bit unfairly targeted after the game on social media. I, I mentioned that in my talking points. One player in particular who I thought was superb, but we're going to talk about them in a moment. Um, yeah, the changes are going to make a difference to the team. You know, to change out four players. I mean, we saw it against Fulham when he changed out 10 players in the Carabao Cup. It was, It's such a big difference. I know he said before the game, oh, you know, these players have all trained with us. They know what the, the, we want of them and all that. But it's very different in training, I feel, to executing it in a match when someone's running full pelt at you and the crowd are yelling at you to still kind of have no fear in the Postacoglu way. Uh, and I did think we saw that a few times on Saturday where players maybe just were booting the ball up the pitch or booting it out of play, especially for the first goal that happened. Um, and they just... I think had it been the normal starting eleven, I don't think it really matters about difference in quality, difference in players. I think it's just that fear level of they should be passing it around. They should be spreading it around the fullbacks, knowing where to go. Um, and that didn't happen. And ultimately, they could have put that game away, you know, even with LaCelso's shot, even with uh, Johnson had a second chance when I think he kind of suffered from cramp as he went to hit it and he ended up doing this horrendous kind of curling shot well wide. They could have still put the game away despite all of that. So it is frustrating. The one for me I think, was, yeah, um, was when um, Sonny was kind of played through. I can't remember who it was that, that played him through when he was uh, in the clear in, in the last couple of minutes. And he didn't drive towards goal. He kind of, I don't mm. know if he just got the ball stuck under his feet or anything, but he kind of stopped and then allowed three Wolves defenders to get in, in and, and back in position, essentially. He didn't drive with the ball towards goal, which I would expect from him. Absolutely. And that comes down to that kind of aggressive, positive, let's be relentless and show no mercy kind of thing. And Emerson did similar. Emerson was put through. I think there's different reasons why Emerson just suddenly <laughs> stopped. Um, but we'll talk about Emerson in a bit. Um, yeah, it's just such a shame because I do think that people have gone a little bit overboard in the aftermath. I do think people have to remind themselves that Tottenham are two points off the top of the yeah. table. <laughs> They've only lost two games in their first 12 matches in the Premier League. Yes, there's some injury issues, of course, but I'm kind of I'm quite confident still that I think Postacoglu will find a way around those. I just think, as he keeps saying, it's not about replacing them. It's about having different kinds of options and playing in a different, slightly different way. I mean, they lost the best player they got at the start of this season they haven't replaced him exactly they've made a different kind of team and I think they'll do exactly the same without Madison and Van de Ven um, but yeah I do feel like if you'd have I mean if I'd have offered you look I could told you look you, you're losing Kane you're gonna have a new manager's gonna rip this club apart and put it all back together in piece by piece I'll, I'll give you fourth place you'll only lost two games and you'll be two points off the table would you take that at the start of the season Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. It's. I just feel we, I mean, it's, it's It's. probably a consequence of social media as well, but we do go a little bit overboard yeah. sometimes at stuff. I was going to ask um, you, because I, I yeah. I'm, I'm not being negative about anything. It's back-to-back -back defeats, but I'm, I don't want to be mm. negative about anything. But um, And this is probably going to come over too negative or too dramatic, but I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned it there yourself, about the number yeah. of shots Wolves had and the number of shots Tottenham didn't have. Um, is there any any reason to be worried or concerned because there was only the one shot on target against Crystal Palace as well um, before the Chelsea game obviously and now this at Wolves um, yeah is, do, do you think there's any reason to be worried or concerned about that? I think and this is only my opinion others may think it's 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 wrong 
I think the problem's lying in the midfield right now. I think all of the focus on the, the defence, um, I actually think the midfield hasn't been as good as it had previously. I think Basuma's taken a big old dip since the red card, and I think he's very much kind of playing within himself, which is such a shame because a fully confident Basuma, we saw he was running and dominating, and I think a lot of the issues late on in the game uh, on Saturday actually came from a lack of protection of the defence from the midfield. And then also I feel at the other end of the pitch, of course you're missing Madison, but I feel like Basuma was um, was going up the pitch and doing these really kind of penetrative runs which would open up the opposition and that would allow space for the other attackers to kind of revel in because he was taking two, three opposition players out of the game in one move. I feel like Saar slightly misused on the left side of the midfield three. I think he's better on that right, inter- interlinking with Poro and Kulisevsky. Um, Hoybier... Hoibier oh, yeah, is such a funny player. Sometimes he does stuff that's really good. Like he'll make these really good breaks. He set up Johnson for that pass in the second half with a really good run and first time ball. And then he'll switch off. And I, I think, I mean, we'll talk about both goals in a little bit, but I actually felt that Hoibier had quite a key role in both goals that were conceded as well in not tracking back properly or or covering as well as maybe he could have. And that could be tiredness because he hasn't, you know, started many matches or got many minutes recently. But yeah, I feel like answering that question, I think it's actually the midfield. And I've got a feeling a certain Uruguayan is going to play a big part if we can get him through this international break, which scares the hell out of me. (laughs) He's especially playing against Argentina and Romero. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if Romero does anything that causes an issue for Benzica? Oh my goodness. I mean, you could technically blame, if you want, Saturday's defeat on Romero as well. Because Romero should have been there. Romero's utter moment of stupidity, or two moments of stupidity, really. And for those who don't think the uh, actual red card should have been a red card, Ange himself in his press conference went, no, it was not a good tackle. It was a red card. Um, Yeah, Romero's got his part to play. A doggy to a a degree, because I do still think he's a young, rash player in the moment, whereas Romero should know better as the vice-captain. But yeah, let's go to the defence. Let's talk about that back four as, as we're on it now. When you saw that lineup, what did you think? Um, I was a little bit concerned. Um, I, I <laughs> genuinely thought that Ashley Phillips would be given the nod just because of his pace. And yes, he's inexperienced, but Ange doesn't seem to be the type to concern himself with, with things like that. I mean, Brendan Johnson is not exactly old, is he? And he threw him into the, the North London derby um, against Arsenal. I, yeah, I... I <laughs> The, the lack of pace um, between Eric Dyer and Ben Davis really did concern me. And it's probably unwarranted given how great a game Ben Davis had. And he was actually given um, the TNT Sports um, Player of the Match award, uh, which was unfortunate given he then conceded two goals uh, in injury time. But um, yeah, well, I was concerned. I, I just... I just the way Ange wanted to play football and wants to play football, I just wanted some pace back there. Um and yeah, who knows? Who knows what it would have what would have happened if Ashley Phillips would have been in the side, and who knows how how we would have played, um, how that defence would have would have been would have kind of turned out. Yeah, there's two sides to it with Ashley Phillips for me. On one side, absolutely, we always hear Postecoglou talking about his team being brave, and he has been brave in team selections. You know, you go back to that first game against Brentford, Udogi straight in there. You know, only, was he 19 at that point? I'm trying to think how old he was. Maybe just turned 20. 
Um, Van der Ven straight in there after, I don't think he maybe had half a training session or something. So yeah, he does make big calls with young players. And like you say, Brennan Johnson, North London Derby, obviously what I would say on the other side of that coin is Ashley Phillips is even younger. He's 18 years old. He's got no top flight experience whatsoever. He's played eight games in the championship, um, kind of scattered over last season. And he spoke about him in his press conference in the embargo section um, on Friday. And as soon as he'd spoken about him, we all took Ashley Phillips out of our predicted team. <laughs> and it was the way he spoke about him. He just kind of, it seemed very much like he's got to earn this. If I play him, it's because he's got it. And it very much sounded like a manager who felt he wasn't quite ready yet. Um, and this is a big thing. And we're all, we're all guilty of it. I, I'm, I'm just as bad as a journalist of bigging up young players and saying, it's their time, come on. And it's almost like we don't know their bad side. So what can possibly go wrong? Yeah. Whereas Postacoglu is seeing them in training every single day and he's seeing whether they're right or wrong for that moment. And, and as I say, I'm absolutely as guilty as a, you won't, you know, I'm a big follower of Spurs Academy and you often hear me bigging up players and I'm going to do it again as this podcast goes on. Um, but, yeah, that's one thing. And, and it's always something that people within football have always told me. is like you don't see them training every single day. And I just wonder whether that's the case with Ashley Phillips, is that he just felt this was maybe not quite the right step or time or game to bring him in for. But, you know, it's it's part the, of that first team squad. It's the flip side, isn't it? Like I've, I've said there, he's Andrew isn't afraid to, of, to give young players their chance and, and throw them in the deep end sort of thing. So you, you then have to look at it on the other side and think, well, he hasn't thrown someone in at the deep end on this occasion. Mm. Perhaps he's not ready. Um, perhaps we have to we have to yeah. tr- trust in Ange, as it were, and say, well, he clearly is not ready for, for that role um, at the back. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll swiftly find out what Ange thinks about um, the aftermath and how that went and whether he feels Phillips is ready come the game against Aston Villa. Um, what I would say, I think the way he spoke about both Davies and Dyer afterwards suggests that he was happy with them. Um, and it is, I know, look, I know this thing that I think both of those players are very much guilty by association with the past. Um, don't get me wrong. I do think um, in terms of their comfort with the system, they're not as comfortable. Of course they're not. You can see that. They're not as comfortable as... Uh, Van der Ven and Romero, absolutely not. Um, and yes, pace-wise, they don't maybe have that ability on the turn to to deal with what goes over the top. I do think you compromise with that in terms of maybe the fullbacks are less so inverted, less as number tens, and maybe they have to be more ready to run in behind. Or you use Vicario as you did against Chelsea as a sweeper keeper, um, which interestingly, and said in the um, again in the embargo section the day before that he doesn't actually see that being a thing Spurs use much, which I thought was quite interesting, um, especially with this slightly slower defence right now. Um, yeah, and I I get the association with the past and not having that success. And there's this idea that now that if you've been at the club for a certain amount of time, you're a wrong one. You shouldn't be there. Yeah, sum up everything that's part of the problem. And I don't think that's always fair. And I will absolutely say that in the case of Ben Davies. I thought Ben Davies was superb. And I look back at my ratings after watching, because that's the thing, we do our ratings without having a full kind of playback of the goals and big moments. We kind of have to go off what we see. And I did feel with Ben Davies, I kind of unfairly, slightly 
dragged him into the mess of the second goal. And actually watching it back, there's nothing really he could do about that goal. He was kind of coming across to cover a big space that Emerson had left. Um, and then it was behind him where Hoybier just absolutely lost Lamina and then Dyer just let him wander past him trying to play offside. But Ben Davies, honestly, I thought he was actually superb. Um, I think I've got his stats here somewhere. Three tackles, two interceptions, three clearances. He blocked five shots, won five of his six aerial duels. And like I say, had little to do with either goal that went in. And with Eric Dyer... I actually felt Dyer played really well for uh, 91 minutes. He did everything that was asked of him. Um, and as I say, they were apt, about to get to that um, that clean sheet, which would have been massive, I think, for their confidence as well. And then they just had this little moment where Eric Dyer tries to play a pass down the wing, messes it up, knocks it out of play, porros up the pitch, waiting for the ball that never came to him. Dyer comes across to cover the space for the throw, leaves a big gap behind him, which Hoybier kind of goes into. And then rather than jumping and heading the ball, does the thing that I know the Hoybier critics don't like. And I know some media that dislike it when he kind of waves his arms around. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? Play football. Um, and yeah, um, Sarabia gets in behind him and scores what was absolutely... I mean, it was a beautiful ball in. It was, it was at Kuna, wasn't it? Played the ball. It was absolutely sublime ball over the top. Lovely finish as well. He kind of almost took a ball that it didn't even seem for him. He like took it into his pass so well and then scored. Um, so there was that goal. And then the second goal is, yeah, oh my goodness. I think Lacelso was it, gave away the free kick. Emerson's stuck up the pitch. The ball's played quickly. Davies tries to get across, but it's very quickly put into centre because they can see Lamina breaking through. And he kind of scuff rolls it into the... It was complete antithesis of the first goal. It was very much a, a scruffy messy goal but hey it caught it kind of provoked delirium in the stadium um so they got what they wanted and it was just such a shame because i i knew in that moment i knew dyer and davies were both going to get it but you just know i don't i'm and i know what you're saying but you kind of mm. every, every people you've mentioned there like like second goal lacelso um emerson uh, davies yeah. and dyer obviously yeah, and people talk about oh the these players that have been there for for so long and they're all kind of associated with the the bad past and we conceded 63 goals last year because of a lot of a lot of them because of individual errors and we kept making these individual errors and yeah. We've let slip a game on Saturday due to individual errors that are coming from those players. And I'm just playing devil's advocate here because, I, again... Oh, I, I get it. I think that's very fair. I, th I think Eric Dyer, from what I've seen, played very well. And obviously, he put in a, a commendable performance against Chelsea as well. Um, ben Davis obviously played very well. And I, I think he's a, a solid pair of hands um, in that position. He's, he's not a first-choice uh, defender, but he is a solid pair of hands when, when you need to call upon him. But I, I completely understand where kind of the... The, the outrage and the disappointment from fans is coming from in that you we, we were punished for making those mistakes last year and we've just been we've just made a couple of mistakes and been punished severely for them on Saturday and it's some of those players again um that are associated with with what's gone on before have, have happened it's happened to them again yeah absolutely and I think that's absolutely fair if I was to uh play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. <laughs> um, I would also say that Postacoglu chose to keep a number of those players. I would say Eric Dyer is a bit different. I think Eric Dyer, if the club had been able to get a bid for him and he wanted to go, I think he would have gone. We know his contract situation. But Postacoglu actually convinced Lo Celso to stay. 
which was why maybe leaving him out of the starting lineup was a little bit harsh yesterday, although I understood why he brought Hoybier in because of how well he'd played um, recently. Um, he wanted to keep him, wanted to keep Davies. Uh, Emerson was part of the team he wanted to keep as well. So it's kind of, while, you know, got a hell of a lot of praise for Postacoglu, there's certainly elements that, you know, he's got to play a role in this as well. He, he wants those players and he hasn't quite clearly got some of his methods across to them yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, in continuing to talk about defence as well, the fullbacks, <laughs> very differing performances for me, and they're such different fullbacks. What did you think of Porro and Emerson? Uh, again, I think Porro it just continues to play, if not brilliantly, then then reasonably well when he when he's on the pitch. Um, Emerson, I, when the season started, I thought Emerson um, would be in with a real shout of um, of taking that that right back spot. And I think he's done okay when he's kind of slotted in at left back when Udogi's not been there as well. When obviously the suspension now and when he had the um, the injury, I don't I don't know. It's it's difficult with Emerson. You you kind of you get one thing or the other, don't you? He's went through that torrid time um, during his Spurs career of being lambasted for everything that went wrong and not being able to do what Conte wanted him to do, um, and then he kind of picked it up and he spent. God knows how many thousands on um, uh, what was it last oh, season? Like the hyperbaric chamber thing. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. Yeah, about eight hundred grand, I think he spent. Yeah, something like that. Well, reportedly, reportedly, and then then kind of picked picked himself up again. And I, I don't know. Perhaps he's just not. He's not getting to grips with the stop start nature of being in the team. Uh, perhaps he needs an, an actual run of games um, under Postacoglu to, to get used to the system and to get used to playing the way he wants to play. Um, and we might see a bit more of him. We might see the best of him again. Yeah, I mean, c- continuing to kind of give, I guess, the other side of the coin for these players is that, yeah, they haven't had a lot of football. They're not going to be sharp. They're not going to be as switched on as the, the regular starting eleven. Um, and then there's two ways to look at that. There's on one side... Is it uh, that the club have only got a strong team and not a strong squad? Does that come down to recruitment? Whether does it come down to money put in? Does it come down to poor selection or choices on players and inability to sell players maybe that you don't want anymore? Um, there's that side. But then, yeah, it also comes down, I guess, to the coaching aspect of having one game a week, playing a very settled 11, and then shock horror, when people do have to come in, they look a bit rusty and they don't look sharp and they're not quite up to the pace as everyone else's. What I would say with Emerson, um, oh, this is going to sound really bad. <laughs> it's just going back to what it's just going back to what I used to say about Emerson. I don't really think anything's changed since I kind of used to give this original assessment. I think he's a good defender. I don't think he's very good going forward. He'll pop up with the odd goal, um, which I think shocks everyone, probably including himself. But I think when you put him into attacking positions, you can just see the difference between him and, let's say, Porro and Adoggi, who are both used to playing as wing-backs. They're used to playing further up that pitch. And they've both got that attacking instinct in them. Um, there were not only the, one, the time when he was sent through Emerson, but there were other moments when... He would naturally... He, this is the weird thing about Emerson. His movement's terrific. He gets into so many good positions. Yet when he's in those positions in the opposition half, he looks terrified. <laughs> he looks like a kind of a deer in the headlights. Oh my God, what do I do? I've got a ball. I've got a ball. Who gave me the ball? And it's like, what do I do with it now? And he just plays off a really safe pass to someone else rather than driving through. So the inverted fullback system, it's almost... 
it's almost as bad for him really as the wing-back system because it's actually putting him maybe into even more dangerous positions centrally where he's not going to do anything with it. Um, and it is, and it makes him look like a bad player, which he's not. He is a good defending fullback. And that is why whenever he's come off the bench and you've needed him to help Spurs secure a result in past weeks, he's come on and played well and he, he's put in tackles galore and blocks. He's been really good. But if you're going to ask him to do an attacking fullback's job, he's not going to be able to do it to the same degree. And I think... You'll just see with Udogi presumably coming back in against Villa. Touchwood, has he got called up to the Italy squad again? I presume he would after his performances You'd last have thought time. thought so. I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to have a double check on that. But you would think, as long as he comes back kind of 15 international break, that he'll slot back in. And even that just changes the dynamic of Spurs, not only defending, but they're attacking. I think that's a big thing as well. So, yeah, I, I do feel awful whenever... It's like kicking a puppy when you criticise Emerson Royale because he comes across as the nicest guy. You know, he's just become a dad. He's absolutely doting on his, his little boy, I think he's got now. Um, and he's he gives everything for Spurs when he's on that pitch, like I say, defensively, but just attacking-wise, it's just not there. And I don't know if it's something that you can train or not. I think it's that inbuilt instinct. He is like... I guess one thing, he is destroying stereotypes of Brazilian players. That, that's one thing. I think that's, you know, we always say that stereotypes are bad things. Um, I'm not entirely sure in this case where it is. You're about to tell me about a doggy. Udog is not in the Italy squad. Oh, he played really well, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. Yeah. Pros. Yep. Oh, that's actually, I think we'll take that. <laughs> in, in an international break where we're worried about everyone getting injured, that's actually not the worst thing in the world. No. Um, so yeah, he could be fully prepared. And maybe drilled into a system where he's going to have to do a lot more running back to uh, cover balls over the top to Ollie Watkins, presumably, um, against Villa. But yeah, with Emerson, I mean, I've, I've, just a little example for you is the two passing stats of the two players. And I think some people would look at this and say, hey, Emerson was great. So Emerson made 65 passes and had a 93.9% pass success rate. Pedro Porro only had a 72.1 pass success rate from his 61 passes. But there's a reason for that. And that's because Emerson's playing very safe, close yeah. passes to those around him. He only played one long pass, which did make its target. Whereas Porro, um, he had two key passes. One was the assist, obviously, for Brennan Johnson, which was a lovely goal. That early goal absolutely lied to us. It told us we were going to get a completely different match. I mean, you know, the ball from Saar, Porro doing a clever dummy, Kulisewski getting it, doing this dragged back heel into Porro's path. Porro Kulisewski getting a really nice understanding now. And then Porro slings it across. Johnson comes in and you're thinking, hello, that's the attack. Who needs James Madison? <laughs> Come on, lads. And it was like, yeah, that was it. They actually peaked on three minutes. Yeah. Which was just, Two minutes and 10 um, seconds, wasn't it? Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of those stats for me. You know, he put in six crosses as well, Porro four long passes and actually on who scored he was the man of the match based because they do it database don't they and he was their man of the match by a long way um and it just shows you the very different kind of performances you're going to get from these two players his passion um, as well um like when oh, he, he was, was when the come on passionate. to the fans towards the end of the match every time he was getting fouled yeah. he would just look over to the fans i saw it he was did this a couple of times i think to the fans every time he went down yeah. it <laughs> fouled um he's he, he clearly loves it doesn't he he does. And he's a Postacoglu kind of player. I think he's very much swept away with the way Postacoglu wants to do things. And that's because Postacoglu doesn't like safe. He doesn't like the easy option. And that's 
Poro loves that. That that feeds into Poro's kind of game as well. Um, and obviously being able to play as a number 10 in that inverted way. Poro, I've said this before, he's one of the best passers of the club. Probably only Madison's better than him at passing. Um, and I think, hey, who knows? Maybe they should play him instead of Madison. Maybe <laughs> maybe that'd be the surprise. Play Poro actually as a number 10 type. Oh, but then um, Emerson has yeah. to play at right back. This is true. Yeah, so <laughs> you destroyed my now, own argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll stick with that then. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it kind of showed two very different uh, types of fullbacks. And unfortunately, on a day when you needed the defence to have a really good balance to it. Um, just very quickly, Romero comes back. Who would you play alongside him? Whoa, I wasn't expecting that question. Um... There you go. I'd love to throw in a curveball. <sighs> Who do I play alongside? Uh, I think it's going to depend on the next couple of performances, isn't it? Really, um, mm-hmm. you or you automatically think last week it's Eric Dyer. Um, then you look at the Wolves game, and you probably then think, oh, perhaps it's Ben Davis alongside um, Christian Romero instead. It's it's going to come down to their performances, I think, because I think they're very similar in in terms of what you're going to get from them. Um, alongside Christian Romero, it's going to, yeah, it, what happens against Villa and then what happens against Man City, I think will determine where it is. At the minute, after the weekend, I'll probably go Davis. But a week ago, I probably would have said Eric Dyer because he was the natural the next in succession, as it were. Just very quickly, <laughs> just because I want to bring down the mood a little bit. Um, Luciano Spalletti, Italy national team manager. Destiny Doggy is not there because he is injured. Oh. <laughs> Does he know something we don't? Well, this is it. And I'm wondering, is that the one pre-Chelsea? Is that the one that maybe they're just being careful with him? Um, I shall I, I shall ask a few people and maybe see if we can get uh, someone can tell us the answer before the end of the podcast. But um, what I would say about um, in answer to my own question, <laughs> I'm starting to lean towards Ben Davies in terms of the balance. Um and the and also, I don't want to sound like not vindictive. That sounds weird, but Eric Dyer is probably not going to be a part of Spurs' future. His, his contract's going to come to an end, and that that's why I think we've seen even in the early weeks of the season. I know he had a couple of injury issues, but Ashley Phillips was actually getting on the bench ahead of him. And I just wonder with Ben Davies, you know, he's got a couple of years left, and really likes him as well. I wonder whether. If we're talking about people being disillusioned with the fact that you've got players from the past in there. You know, and players they associate with failure. We saw a lot of Romero and Dyer last season and it didn't work. Yep. It didn't really bring a lot of success. I wonder whether you do try something a little bit different with Romero and Davies, have that more of a balance with a right foot, left footer instead of Dyer playing on the left. It might work. Might Who do. knows? I, d- I, d- yeah, I, I don't understand work. why Eric Dyer was trying to play offside for that, that Mario Lamina goal, really. He kind of he stopped as if he was going to play offside. And if he'd just continued his run, I think he blocks that shot from Lamina because Lamina was was on his last legs really wasn't he just getting there and scuffed yeah. it in I think if Dyer continued his run he, he stops that, that shot going in and we're talking about a draw um, which probably would have been well would it have been a fair result did, did, did Wolves deserve it the Wolves probably did deserve it in the end didn't they but there we go I, I just said a draw was a fair result I think um, I think Wolves it was that classic thing of having quite a lot of pressure and shots but not really being that dangerous with it yeah. Whereas I actually felt with Spurs, big chances during the 90 minutes, 91 minutes, were actually the better chances for me. 
Um, so yeah, I, I would have said I don't think Spurs deserve to win it at all. I think a point would have probably been fair at the end of it. Right. So as we're at the point in the show, it's probably a, a good time to remind everyone that the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. And you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. People know, I've said it so many times, it's something that I've used so many times, Nord, across the world, whenever I've been on my holidays, not as many holidays as Rob Guest, of course, but whenever I'm abroad, it's always such a useful thing to be able to switch my device to thinking it's back in the UK and it allows me to watch the things that I would watch back home without those pesky international restrictions that don't really make any sense when you're paying for something and you should be able to watch it. So it's always been very helpful in that respect. And not only that, but the outlay on the NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you could book flights from other countries uh, thinking that you're in those or making your device think it's in those countries and that can work out cheaper too. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And what's actually also happening is that Nord are playing their part in Movember, which if you've been kind of living under a rock and you're not aware, is the worldwide annual event that takes place in November and sees men everywhere growing their moustaches to raise awareness for men's health issues like prostate and testicular cancer and mental health. And the goal of Movember is to encourage men to talk more openly about their health and to raise funds for research and support programs. Um, and during November, new and recurring NordVPN customers in the UK will have a chance to contribute and donate £1, £5 or £10 to the charity and Nord will match that donation. So it's a great chance to give to a great cause. So, Tottenham Hotspur. Let's talk, actually, I touched on it earlier. Basuma. Being the linchpin of that midfield... What what what's happened to him? What do you think's happened to him in the last two to three games since he came back? But if, perhaps it's the the kind of stop start nature of the um, suspension and stuff, and perhaps it is that the kind of having those suspensions hanging over his head um, that that have led to him not quite being at the peak of his powers. Um, obviously, the the yellow card and then the red um, against Luton one match suspension and then coming back into it and having those four yellow cards still hanging over his head um, and then having another suspension because of them picking up a fifth yellow card now coming up. I don't know. Perhaps it it shouldn't really restrict him because that's the nature of his game. That's what he's in the team for. He's there to be that kind of... The, the the breaker of chains, as it were, um, with with someone coming. Breaker of chains. Yeah, that's like saying out of Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly that. Yes. Um, in terms of people trying to play through Spurs, um, breaking up play, um, and then getting Spurs on the front foot as well. We know he can do everything. Um, we just haven't been seeing it. A couple of weeks international break, you'd, and then a week off against Villa because he's suspended. You'd like to think the real Basuma will come back to the party just when we need it against Manchester City the following game. Um, I don't. I, he's he's had such a such a difficult start to his Tottenham career, um, and then the start of this season being so brilliant. I think there was always going to be a little little dip somewhere. Um, 
it, it, it's come now. If we if we can get him back to his best at Man City with with nothing hanging over his head in terms of suspensions, we might see the best of Ibisuma again. I would have thought so. I think, so. I think it's just getting him back into the mindset, isn't it? I do think, you know, there has been that fear over the, the fifth yellow card, which he's now got. <laughs> I mean, technically he's got seven yellow cards, isn't he? It's just a quirk of the system that he's, uh, this is only his fifth. Um, it, it, what concerned me slightly was the fact that he, he only attempted one dribble on Saturday afternoon, which is so unlike him. Um, and he was dispossessed twice, three unsuccessful touches as well. Um, I mean, he might argue he came off after 75 minutes. Spurs conceded twice after he came off. So he might say that he was actually playing as a better screen to the defence than Hoybier did when he switched into the role. Um, but yeah, there's definitely that little bit of magic isn't quite there in his game at the moment. Um, and maybe it was the fear factor. Yeah, coming back for City is an interesting one. <laughs> coming straight back into that. But then I think a fit and fresh hopefully, um, Basuma coming into that game at least gives you a little bit of a boost. Um, yeah, it's just a shame. I just feel like he's so such an, a kind of essential cog in the middle of that team. And I do feel like him going quiet has almost coincided with the, the team not quite reaching the same levels. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with him. So, on the midfield, what midfield three would you have selected had you been Ange Postacoglu? I, I was just surprised that Hoybier was playing in there, to be honest. With with Basuma and Saar already in that position, I thought it was um, a straight shootout between Giovanni Lo Celso, or as I've seen um, some people comment, we should be calling him Lo Celso, um, as in the Argentine, Argentinian uh, pronunciation, um, or Rodrigo Bentancur. Um, I, d- I didn't see Hoybier coming in or if I if Hoybier was to come in it were, I think it would have been for for Saar that's what that's what I would have um what would have foreseen yeah. so yeah I was very surprised um it just it just felt a little I don't know perhaps it was Ange trying to be a little bit more pra- pragmatic because of the defense because there's, there was been a lot of talk about how we played against Chelsea obviously and and his philosophy and still playing with that high line even with nine men um and then I was I was going to say to you, obviously, with, with the defenders we've got, should we be looking at Ange to, to change his approach a little bit and, and play to the strengths of the players that he's got in the team rather than just sticking to his philosophy throughout? I think there's arguments you can be made either way, essentially. But perhaps it was a little bit of, we need a little bit more protection um, for that defence in this game today. I'll play the three, I'll play Hoybier in there because we know he can... He can sit in front of the defence as well. But then that kind of restricted us going forward, I, I felt. Um, La Celso from the start might have given us a little bit more oomph going forward. Um, Bentoncourt in that kind of more attacking role um, in the midfield might have given us a little bit more impetus in, in on the front foot. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, certainly I wasn't expecting that. And Ange does like to um, surprise me with his team selections all the way through this season. But yeah, I would have I would have had Benton Cora or Chelsea. Sorry. Um, what what did you make of the, the starting lineup? Safe. That was quite a safe one, which is very unlike Ange. And actually, just before we get into that, some little good news for you. Um, Destiny Doggy was is uh, was taken out as a precaution. The okay. Italy squad just just it was in regards to that injury he'd had and just making sure that they don't put any more kind of stress and make it worse. Um, so that's good. Two weeks yep. off for that to fully heal is a good thing. Um, well, actually, three weeks off with his um, almost with his um, red card as well. 
Yeah, I thought it was safe. I th- I understood and I kind of, I did my predicted team and it was the, the team that ended up being and I felt like he was going to reward Hoybier for his performances and say, look, you know, you, you've played really well. Here you go. I did think in the same stroke, he was also saying to La Celso, yeah, I know, mate. I know I convinced you to stay and all that, but maybe not this time, even though you're technically the the kind of the switch out for Madison was kind of the point. So, yeah, I did think it was very safe. And I did think um, you could see that on the pitch that Hoibio was essentially tasked with playing a bit of an everything role, trying to be the Madison and trying to be uh, a kind of a, a box-to-box player, also tackling at the other end. And it eventually, I think, fitness-wise, it kind of beat him down as well. And he, we know he doesn't quite have that creativity. He plays the odd lovely pass. He, he does have it in his locker, but not as a consistent quick instinctive thing to do um and i thought Saar was okay you know obviously involved in the first goal i don't think it was one of his greatest matches like i say basuma very much quiet for me and i think it just missed that bit of magic um i mean let's throw the question straight at you who until he returns until the january window opens definitely is the madison replacement for you i my choice would be um bentoncourt in in that position just because just because of how I think you've mentioned it in a couple of stories you've done today and over the weekend just the moments and and the goals and the arriving on the scene that we saw from him last year I think he can be he can be that guy um yes we might be throwing him in at the deep end quicker than we we might want but he's he's such a quality player he I think he can play in that position he doesn't need to be um kind of restrained um in the midfield and I think I spoke to Guesty about it last week. Um, I think Lucelso has has had a number of chances. Yes, he hasn't had a kind of a concerted run in the team as such. He's never been massively favoured by all all of the managers that we've had in terms of starting week in week out. But from what I have seen of him, he just doesn't. I just don't think he's grabbed that opportunity to be the first choice um, starter, as it were, and. Yeah, I, I think and it'll be it'll be a shame for him, as you say. If he's been convinced to stay, it would be a real shame to see that happen. And I think it was mentioned um, by Guesty last week that if he wasn't chosen for for the game against Wolves, it would it would feel like a kick in the teeth because he was the Madison replacement. And I think me and Guesty spoke about it on a previous podcast as the only position he can play in is that Madison position. He can't play in in the two, I don't think, um, that, that will sit in front of the defence. So that's the only position he's playing for. And when Madison's dropped out and he's not been chosen because Hoybier has been put in and then I'm saying, well, I think Benton Kush should play there. I, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know where he goes from here, Lachelso, really. Yeah, it does. Fit. I do fear that it's one of those where in January there's going to be a bit of a, a fuss kicked up. Um, and I, I kind of think understandably, in a way, I mean, look, Spurs have been playing really well, so you can't complain too much on that respect, uh, on that aspect. But you can have a, a, a gripe about the fact that when the player, yeah, like you say, and, and, and Guesty said that the player that you're meant to be the backup for is out, why are you not slotting straight in and, and doing everything kind of almost promised of you, I guess? Um, again, we don't see what he's doing in training, whether he's smashing it in training. That could be another aspect. But I'm with you. I think Benton is the man to step into that role I think as long as he comes through it, I think having the fitness and confidence of the international break under his belt, two matches within, I think it's Friday, Tuesday night they play. Um, 
hopefully doesn't start both, but gets a fair bit of go. In an ideal world, I'd bring him on for the last <laughs> 30 seconds of the yeah. game and keep him away from Romero. Yeah, providing he doesn't but get passed by Romero, he'll come back all right and be better for it. Exactly. Yeah. And I'd, I'd play him for the, you know, an hour or so against Bolivia. But yeah, he'll be far sharper. And there's actually, there was a really interesting interview that I completely, I don't think anyone or many many people saw. He did with an Argent, um, sorry, Uruguayan radio station about a fortnight ago where he spoke about, and I think we, we sense this, his partner did an Instagram post about how kind of, you could tell they weren't particularly happy with certain people around his recovery. And he kind of suggested in this uh, in these quotes to the um, the radio station that his return date was changed and it was made to be later. He was actually meant to be coming back November twenty first after after feeling that he was ready a long time before that. Again, our, our favourite devil's advocate phrase right now is: I can understand why after eight months out with a cruciate ligament injury, you're going to be as cautious as possible. Because we've seen and it's been horrible when players have suffered them again quite soon afterwards. And so I can absolutely understand why they would be trying to hold him back that little bit. And Postacoglu said, God, he said about two and a half months ago that Benton Kerr was knocking on his door trying to get game time. Um, so I can understand that. And I mean, he's still earlier. He's obviously come back way earlier than November 21st. He came back at the end of October. Um, so he says he can no longer feel any pain in his knee he talks about they didn't they barely had to remove any fluid from it during his recovery process which is a big thing with knee uh injuries so if you can get oh excuse me i'm getting so excited about my voice <laughs> my voice finally broke um you can uh i think if you get benton Kerr back to some kind of semblance of where he was last season before the uh the injuries specifically before the World Cup as well, because he got another Torres adductor muscle at the World Cup. In that first half of the season, he, in that role, especially further up the pitch, I think he can bring a lot of the dynamic penetrative play that I was just saying that maybe we've lost a little bit from Basuma in recent weeks, but with an added goal threat. So he won't be like a, um, a Madison in terms of probably threading as many balls through, but he can do that. I'd say maybe he could be a little bit more like talking about another club in the past, maybe a Lampard type bursting into the yeah. into the box. Kind of, I suppose Deli Ali. Better we're going to use a Spurs example. Maybe more Deli Ali like in terms of he's got the ability on the ball when he has it at his feet. It's very difficult to get it off him. He's got that strength on the ball as well. But maybe put him in the number eight role rather than sitting like he was under Conte in front of the defence as much. Have him further up the pitch and maybe he's going to. You're going to spread the Madison load out across other players like they've done with Kane. Um, yeah, personally, I, I think Bentacool's the one. Um, he's the reason, as people would say. Um, I'm very excited. I think everyone's very excited to to have him back, essentially, uh, and fit and firing, um, and just a a regular a regular starter in this Tottenham team. Because um, yeah, I think I think he's really suited to to Ange Postecoglou's way of football. And, Absolutely. To- I was going to say, talking about Ange Postecoglou's way of football, have you got something you wanted to say yeah, about I was just, as well? Uh, yes, I was just going to um, go straight into it, actually. Um, so, yeah, apart from um, the result, but it was away, obviously, so um, we, we don't need to talk about that. Um, it doesn't get any more exciting than it does at Tottenham Hotspur this season. And the best way to soak up all the atmosphere is inside premium hospitality. Guaranteed seats to all home matches, indulge in unforgettable dining experiences at Spurs' world-class stadium, and enjoy exclusive member-only events outside of match day two. Premium at Tottenham Hotspur, 
where it's unmatched. Visit TottenhamHotspur.com forward slash premium to find out more. And I can tell you firsthand it is it is excellent. Um, so we've worked our way all the way up the pitch now. We've done the defence. We, we had to talk about Vicario because he didn't really, weirdly, didn't have much to do. He's um, in the SME squad. Think, well, yes. <laughs> and, and I wonder how close he's getting to kind of getting a, uh, an appearance for them because there's certainly a, a growing groundswell of opinion in Italy that he should be edging towards that. Obviously, they've got Donnarumma, haven't they? He's like, yeah. <laughs> like been one of the best goalkeepers uh, around for a while. But there is definitely a growing kind of feeling in Italy that he should at least be getting some opportunities here and there. Um, but yeah, he didn't really have much to do other than a good first half save. I think the first goal was terrific. Second goal was just, just a rolling, messy finish, I guess, which... He came out, it's just a classic one where it's it's kind of got past him. Um, going up front, what did you think about that attacking trio? What do you want me to say? <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the that's the attacking trio that I would um I would go with um if they're if they're all fit essentially. So did they do enough? <laughs> Again, I, I, I didn't see the first half, so you'll, you'll have to tell me if they did enough in the first half. The, no. No. no the the <laughs> well, no. The, you said it peaked after two minutes and 10 seconds, so clearly they didn't. Exactly. Um, but that that Kulisevsky little flick, as you, you've already talked about, was sensational. Um, and the, the, the ball in and, and Brennan Johnson's finish, obviously brilliant. Um, yeah, I... I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't really know what to say. That that is the three that I would go with. Um, I think that is the first choice front three. I think Sonny's already shown that he can play in that central role on a number of occasions this season, but there have also been occasions where he doesn't perhaps offer much in that role. He doesn't he doesn't kind of if he doesn't find the back of the net, then is he actually offering what you want him to to in that central role? And everyone kind of thinks about oh, if Harry Kane was in there, blah blah blah, and we don't want to talk about Harry Kane anymore, but. Um, yeah, I, I've already mentioned that that moment at the end. I just felt he should have, he, he could have gone clean through and and finished the game off for Spurs there two nil, um, in the last minute or last couple of minutes, what it was, and it just didn't happen. Um, so yeah, I don't. It's it's hard, isn't it? Because they have they have been so good, but then when it doesn't quite work out, you then start to look at why it didn't work out um, and what the problems were. Brennan Johnson, important to get that first goal at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's it's been coming, hasn't it? Really, we we've seen moments from him. That amazing save from David Raya in the North London derby. Um, there's been a couple. He had the offside goal against um, Sheffield United, wasn't it? Um, he was given offside when he scored. Um, so it has been coming. It's it, he's yeah. clearly he's clearly settled in really really easily. Um, and he's yeah, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be a star. You're preaching to the converted, <laughs> honestly. I saw his uh, his dad actually walking in, David Johnson, uh, walking into Molyneux before the game. A decent striker in his own right. Um, and yeah, I, I think the finish that we saw at Molyneux was very much, like you say, that, that initial one on his debut, it showed that he's got that striker's finish. He's got that ability to ghost into the areas where he needs to get into. Um, and... I think it was just unfortunate. And he admitted it himself. I actually asked Ange about it after the game and, and said about his performance. And he said, obviously, he hopes the goal gives him now confidence going forward. But he did feel that 
he was one of the ones in particular first half that wasn't positive enough in their play. And actually, Brennan Johnson, in his interview after the game, included himself and said, yeah, I could have done more kind of getting into the dangerous areas, pushing forward and, and taking risks. And and I love the fact that he actually almost repeated what Ange was about to tell us word for word. So clearly it is it was said in that dressing room very, very clearly. I can imagine a bit of a halftime rocket because that was the issue. I don't know if, did you see the TNT Sports interview with Andrea Fernand did it ahead of the game? Uh, no, I haven't seen that, no. It's it's really interesting. I mean, I've only seen there's like a 13-minute edited version of the actual program, which I think was about half an hour. But honestly, I recommend people watch it because there's a really kind of interesting bit, especially when they talk about the Shakhtar pre-season friendly, where they looked at the, the way Spurs weren't really pressing in the first half and they weren't really being positive and you could see the body shape of the players. A lot of them were looking back towards their own goal. And Ange did this really interesting bit with Rio where he was saying, look, I can tell you the problem is not here. It's not here. It's not here. And then he pointed up at the scoreline. He said, it's there. They're 1-0 up and they're absolutely looking to preserve that rather than going on and absolutely burying the team in a load of goals um, and being relentless like he wants them to be. Um, and it was really interesting. And that was the game where Madison said that Postacoglu, even though it was a preseason friendly, he absolutely tore into them at halftime and it changed their whole way of playing. Second half, they, what was it? Was it four two four one? I can't remember what it was yeah. in the end that that game. Uh, uh, it was five one four. Five. That was it. Kane got four. Yeah, um, and and it changed the way they played, and they carried that into the season as well. And I was watching some of the pressing in that first half again at Molyneux, and it was so similar to the way they were looking at that screen. Their body shape turned the wrong way, not looking at the players. And like I say, and shouting at them from the sideline. There's so many times during the game when he's doing this kind of get up the pitch kind of movement with his hands. Um, and that is clearly being taken on in the dressing room now. And I do wonder, I think the international break is a good thing in one way to have a little bit of a reset, but in a bad way in terms of learning lessons maybe from this match. Um, in that, yeah, I, I think maybe had there been another game, I think you would have seen again another quick reaction against Villa, and a, a quick change in the way they're playing. But um, Johnson's going to be pivotal, I think, to a lot of what they do. I'm with you. I would have played that front three. That would have been the one that I think is the most exciting one at Spurs right now because it's got a bit of everything. But I think... I still The interesting one for me, I don't know if you've noticed this, I don't think uh, Kulusevsky and Son's link-up has been that great no. this season. I think that's the one area where I kind of feel like... Maybe they're not used to playing alongside each other. Maybe Kulusevsky's more used to finding Son kind of running in from the back at the left of the of the box. I don't know. But something between those two, and again, I'm not trying to create this big thing. Like I remember in Korea, there was this huge thing with Perisic and Son last season, which I think was more about the positions they occupied on the pitch. I just feel like with Kulusevsky and Son, they've had a great relationship on the pitch, but for some reason, they're just not finding each other's runs as well at the moment. Although Son... He, he had so little service. I did feel sorry for him. He was barely seeing the ball. But what he did do well a few times was he'd receive the ball with his back to goal on the around the halfway line, and he would spin and put part. It was very. We've used him a few times now, and apologise to those who never want to hear his name again. <laughs> but Kane esque, it was that ability to turn with your back to goal and spin the ball. And he played one to Hoybier and one to Kudelski, especially as I remember, and they were superb. Uh, but it just wasn't reciprocated the other way round. Um, so yeah. There's that's an area to work on for Spurs massively. And I do think the midfield has its role to play in there as well. Um, 
again, it's just, it's a process. Yeah. This is the thing. I think we've almost got a little bit swept away and carried away of how fantastic the results were kind of while maybe slightly ignoring what we all said beforehand was that every club postacoglu has gone to the first few months have been pretty rubbish actually because he's had to make such a change to the way they play and i think we kind of got a bit lucky with that starting 11 bought into it so much whereas now we're seeing different people having to come in there's a little bit more of a challenge for him and it's still got to understand it's part of this process but uh yeah i the attacking bit is where it still hasn't entirely clicked for me. Sonny's getting the goals. I think you can't really criticise Sonny for the start he's had to the season. When the balls come to him in the box, he's been lethal pretty much every time. I'm trying to remember if he even had a shot. Uh, I think he might have had one blocked one on Saturday. It, it wasn't kind of the, the greatest uh, period of service he's ever had in his life for Spurs in terms of people getting in the ball into his area. And But for people that issue, like that, but um, we have yeah. been outperforming our XG this this season so far. So the, the, I think there had to come a point where that would that couldn't continue like that. Um, caught up with them, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the trouble I think now is that is one of the areas where, especially with Charleston out for a month. I mean, obviously, two weeks of that is international break. He might be back reasonably quick uh, quickly after that. But the options are there up there. Are, Pretty sh- yeah. like small now. Yeah. I was going to say pretty small. That's not to say Brian Hill is small. He's <laughs> a, he a smaller player. Um, but it's kind of him. And Valise, obviously, is very young. Um, and that's why my talking points, I'm, I'm pushing the claims. I know I'm not saying to start a game, but even if it's just for just a few minutes towards the end of matches, Jamie Donnelly. <laughs> Jamie Donnelly. And again, I'm, I'm doing that thing I said about, you know, talking about young players that, you know, maybe Postacoglu might not feel as entirely ready right now. But he has just been incredible this season. And I do feel like, and this has always been my way, is that there should be a reward system in place, I think, for players who are the best in the academy. Absolutely. You should be getting some kind of reward for that. Here's some of his stats, right? Six goals, 11 assists in 11 matches. So that's 17 goal involvements in 11 matches in Premier League 2 and EFL Trophy. And that's not even including the goals and assists he's got in the Premier League Cup. Sunday, uh, yesterday, played against Peterborough United, 2-0. He set up Will Lankshire with a lovely deep cross. which He's done so many of those. When he gets to the byline, he picks out someone at the back post. And what's happening with Jamie Donnelly is he... He's 18 years old. He pretty much was a striker mainly, but they've had injuries in the last 18 months that's meant he's had to fill in in different areas in the um, under-21 squad for Wayne Burnett. And it's developed him. It's had this kind of knock-on effect of turning him into a... a he's a, He plays at almost like the the tip in a way of a midfield three for, for Spurs under-21s. And, I mean, whisper it quietly, he's there James Madison. <laughs> That's what he is. But I'd actually say he's probably more lethal in front of goal because he used to be a forward. So for me... Another obstacle saying... in Giovanni Lascelles getting into the team. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Maybe. But I'm not I'm not saying throw him in at the start whatsoever. I, I think he needs to be kind of brought in carefully. But when everyone's looking at maybe Valise to get some minutes, they talk about Ashley Phillips to get some minutes, yeah. you've got a player who is probably the most confident player at Tottenham Hotspur right now, Jamie Donnelly, because he's just won the Premier League Two Player of the Month award as well. He is absolute. Everything he is doing is coming off. He's got a great vision. He's got great 
ability to thread a ball through. He can cross a ball in, takes um, set pieces at times as well. And when he's a, a striker and he's through on goal, he's he's scoring the goals. So I just kind of feel like, I, look, I kind of, I don't know if it was my first faux pas or not with Ange. In the pre-match presser, I asked him a few questions. I asked him about whether VAR might be causing injuries because of the wait time. He liked that. He said, absolutely, I agree. Um, I asked him about, you know, is this the time for Lacelso, which he kind of batted away, which we now know why, because he wasn't going to start him. And the third one I asked about, and it was, it was, I hope it was quite an innocent question. It was just like, with the lack of numbers, does it give you an opportunity to now to look even closer at some of those younger players in your squad? Because obviously they're going to be even more of a part of training. Um, and I don't think he was that impressed with it. <laughs> he kind of said, um, he said, well, you know, that would be uh, suggesting uh, I'd be negligent in the past at not looking at them as I okie dokie, I get it kind of thing. I still think my question is kind of valid because you are kind of involving more of them in your training. I mean, Dorrington and Donnelly were both on the bench when they wouldn't have been otherwise. But I take his point that he said he's got a good relationship with Simon Davies, the academy head, um, and he's very aware of these players. But like I say, unless he's not absolutely smashing it in training, which I'd be surprised at the, the form he's in. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd have a little look at Donnelly. Give him just a, just a, just 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes. Honestly, we've seen so many players get their chance and they grab it. I'd love to see it. And it would energise the crowd in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against Villa as well. Words there what coming from Jamie Donnelly's agent. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, if I, if I earn the money the agents make in the game, oh my goodness, that would be wonderful. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think he's. Uh, it was good to see him and Dorrington on the bench as well. Dorrington fully deserved. Dorrington helped set up the uh, the second goal for Rio. Um, I always kill the pronunciation of his name. I think it's Kiria Martin. Um, scored an absolute blazing goal from about 25, 30 yards out. It was lovely. But it was all made by... Dorrington doing a, I'm going to whisper it quietly, Romero-like challenge <laughs> far up the pitch, aggressive challenge, and then playing the ball across. Um, the Alistair Gold so Agency yeah. looking to sign Alfie Dorrington up now as well. No, Al- <laughs> Alfie Dor- I think Alfie Dorrington and Jamie Donnelly are both base, the base, uh, CAA base. Who of course they are. They own very, Spurs, don't they? <laughs> well, they've got a very heavy influence at Spurs. I'm pretty sure both of them are both base. Um as I think Jamie Donovy, Jamie, Jamie Donovy, Alfie Devine. I wasn't even trying to say Jamie Donovy. <laughs> Alfie Devine and uh, Dane Scarlett are both them as well. Um, so yes, no, no. My my agent uh, career. Um, <laughs> that would be a weird second career. Has ever has ever journalist ever become a football I agent? I think there have been a few. I, I can't. Oh, really? Recall. Yeah, I think there have been. I think they've got, they've gone that way. Ooh. Can't recall well, exact maybe. names, but I'm sure there have been a few. Who knows what the future holds? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we've just found a new career path. You're quite, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it's... Uh, I think we all like to see youth come through. Absolutely. Uh, eventually. I, think, I think in Postacogu, you do have a, a coach who will, when the time is right, give them their chance, yeah. despite yeah. me crowing about it. So we look forward to... Uh, we don't look forward to an international break, but we have one. Um, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because with no Madison to kind of keep an eye on in the England team... There's for Spurs fans, there'll be slightly less of a of a maybe of an interest in England. I mean, who are you watching out for over this international break? Who are you going to be keeping an eye on? Well, I would like to say Benton Cool, but um, they play at ridiculous o'clock, don't they? When they're when they're out on South American duty, so I probably won't be watching watching them. <laughs> Olivia match is half eleven at night. I think maybe the Argentina match is midnight. I think. Yeah. So if you, if you had a late night, maybe. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see um, if Vicario gets some some minutes for Italy. Um, it'd be um, good to see good to see him in there. Or not that we're going to learn anything. I don't think about Vicario from from that. Um, but yeah, the, the Benton Cura will be the one that I'll be keeping an eye on. And, and of course, um, whether Romero actually decides to go full Romero and take out one of his Tottenham teammates, which we all hope he doesn't, um, which we've mentioned already in this um, today. Um, but yeah, we ju- we just want everyone to come back, don't we? Um, come back nice and nice and fresh um, for another a big game against an inform Aston Villa side, um, and then Man City after that. Fourth versus fifth, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think it's first versus so, second oh. that weekend, isn't it? Is, or Liverpool second, or are they third? It's Man City against Liverpool that weekend, and then um, Aston Villa Spurs. So what you're saying is Spurs could go top again? They could do, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, oh, actually, would they? I don't no, know what the goal difference is like in terms of our, I think Arsenal have got a relatively um, relatively straightforward match after the international break. I can't remember who it is. Yeah, I don't think they could because if either Liverpool or City win, one of those two is going to go top, aren't they? And a draw would keep City top. because That's true, points. yes, because of the um, yeah. goal difference. Yes, yes, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I don't know what to expect in a Villa game. It's, it's an interesting one because you've got a doggy coming back, which I think gives you more balance to the team. Um, I think... Hopefully, there'll be a few players further down the line in terms of sharpness. Benton Kerr, touch wood, cross your fingers, whatever you do to be superstitious, let's hope he is. Uh, Brennan Johnson as well, I think, playing a couple of games for Wales. I think that would be good for him. So you should have a team. I don't think, did LaCelso get called up? I don't think he did. I'm not sure. Oh, God. If we, perhaps I should have looked at these before we started <laughs> yeah, me too, a, a yeah. podcast. It's, um, it's <laughs> not that not that straightforward for Arsenal, actually. Away at Brentford um, after the uh, international break. So, well, okay, okay. So you could kind of, if there's a time you probably need a bit of positivity and a decent result, it would be ahead of the Man City game. Yeah, I've got, I've got to admit, it's very early days, and I know we'll talk about this in a few weeks' time. But the City game scares the life out of me. Yeah, me too. Um, just because of we've had so much success over the ye- recent years in playing a certain way, Spurs. And that way is not going to be used no. <laughs> at all in this game. And it's going to be one of those where I know that there's going to be people out there for Postacoglu, like the knives out of being naive and all this sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. Because he's faced Guardiola before um, with his, was it uh, Yokohama, wasn't it? F. Maranos team, I think it was in the um, in a preseason friendly. And they... They possession-wise played City off the pitch for long periods, but ultimately didn't have the quality to actually put the ball in the net. Um, and I think all the Guardiola and various City players, I remember Raheem Sterling, I did some quotes when Postacoglu first joined, talking about how good that team was. But City are free-flowing and they're scoring silly amounts of goals again. Yes, you can get at them, as Chelsea proved. Yep. Um, you know, they're there to be got at, but I guess the issue is that Spurs need to rediscover their own goal-scoring touch before that, and exactly. it is at the Etihad as well. So I am a little bit fearful about that game, and I hope that it's if it is a bad one, it's a game in isolation, um, and then they can kind of bounce back into the next one. Yeah. But yeah, let's be positive. Yeah. Yes, let's be positive. Let's uh, look to get everyone fit through this international break. Let's have a positive game against Aston Villa. I think we'll probably do something next week we'll do a pod despite it being an international break we'll have a chat about what's happened it's Tottenham Hotspur so something daft will probably have happened in the coming week as well that we can talk about 
Um, I mean, also, we didn't even touch on, I saw there's some rumours, say, Richarlison being linked with the yeah, I did uh, Saudi League. Um, go on, I'll ask you that before we go. Would you cut your losses on Richarlison this early? It depends how much they offer. <laughs> um, if, all right. I, uh, I'm i offering 30 million for Richarlison in January. You, mm, what, you paid 60, didn't they? Yeah, I don't think so. I think you, I think you keep him. For thirty million, um, if you if you're getting up to the realms of forty five fifty, then you might cut your losses. Um, but thirty million, I think you still got a part to play. You wouldn't I, even I, get I, out of bed for thirty million, would you? <laughs> no, no, I've I've got to stand up for him. Guess he's not here, so if um, no no one else is going to do it <laughs> if I don't. So um, I I think there's a there is a player in there. There's clearly a player in there. He's shown it in the Premier League already. Um, we're just we're just waiting too long for it to come out, aren't we? Unfortunately, yes. I mean, he'll say that he's been suffering with this pubic bone injury for a while now. I think he said eight months he's been suffering with it. So maybe that's played a part. You know, yeah. we know Skip, Skippy had a same area, I think a slightly different issue. But, you know, we, you know, I mean, Sonny last season was playing through an injury. We saw how it impacted him last season as well. So who knows? He could come back fully fresh and fit and, and be a bit of a revelation for Spurs. But uh yeah, I would wonder if he wanted to go and it was a decent offer, whether you um, yeah. you put that money into a, another signing that Postacoglu would want in that January window. Um, I mean, that'll be something we'll talk about next week as well. Start looking to, towards the January window and, and exactly what Johan Lang has got in store for us with Postacoglu as well. Um, Rob McKenzie, Chief Scout, and Frederick Leth, the head of research that's coming in from Villa. It's... Um, a bit of a, a triple whammy from Villa, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, hey, Villa doing very well, so it's not to be sniffed exactly. at. There's clearly been success behind the scenes there, and if you can't copy it, steal it. <laughs> Just take take everyone involved. Um, that seems to be the Tottenham way, unfortunately, at times, but there you go. Right, I think that's probably a, a good place to head off, as I think we've covered everything we can exhaustively in that game. Uh, I hope people aren't exhausted by uh, the podcast. And uh, I don't know if you're back next week or not, or whether you'll be joining us as a trio. We'll uh, we'll leave that as maybe a suspense for the listeners. As, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure everyone know? will be yeah on tenterhooks as to whether I'm actually going to be involved no, next week. You've got you've got your growing kind of uh, <laughs> fan, fan base. You know I need you those. Know? I need they some of those any any fans in America? I'm going to be um, I'm going to be in New York for the Aston Villa game um, with my wife. So I need I need somewhere to go and watch it. So get in the comments and <laughs> let me know if um, if any good places to go and watch it. Oh, there's a brilliant place. Um, is it Murphy's Bar? I think it's called. It's okay. the it's the Irish Bar right at the bottom of Manhattan. It's brilliant. It's where all the Spurs fans um, congregate. And yeah, I watched a game there. Or it wasn't. I didn't watch a game. I went to see a Ledley King Q and A in the preseason tour, maybe 2018. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, honestly, yeah, yeah. I didn't realise you. I would have told you that if I'd known you yeah. were. Honestly, it's a great atmosphere in there as well. It's. Uh, oh, I'm very jealous. I love New York. I'm very just again. It's always time. someone seems to be going on holiday <laughs> on this podcast. It's my turn, finally. <laughs> it is your turn. Yeah, yeah. Now, New York's brilliant. You'll have a great time. It's exactly like the movies. <laughs> um, there you go. Right, so we're going to head off. Thanks once again, Lee, for being part of the podcast. And um, hopefully we'll get you back on next week as well. We'll be a bit of a trio all discussing things, uh, Spurs and the international break. So, yeah, and we shall... Uh, 
catch you all next week. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, to grab your a huge discount of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest and you can receive an extra four months for free. And there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we.